Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of the year where the tournament is finally upon us. College basketball takes center stage. BetOnline is the number one spot for bets, odds, information, and the 2022 college basketball bracket contest. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get started today. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 23rd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening. We have got Razor Rosenthal joining us here today on the Take It Easy podcast We are going to talk about anything and everything that happened in college basketball over the weekend. We also touch on all eight of the games coming up in the next couple days at some point here. Not everyone at one time, but at some point we'll touch on the eight games that are coming up here in the next couple of days around that beautiful tournament in March that you can bet on and use the promo code for believe with the link in the description to this episode. Not to shamelessly plug too much, I know we just did the ad read a second ago, but anyways, we'll get to March, oh, almost said the phrase, can't say the phrase unless you have the copyright, but anyways, we will get to the big dance in a second, I don't know if that's copyrighted or not, but the the tournament in March, how about that? Uh, Anyways, so, the first thing I wanted to talk about here today is around Tom Brady, and I know everybody talks about Tom Brady and his retirement and unretirement and all of the things surrounding the greatest quarterback of all time. And I say that sarcastically, but I also am not mad at Tom Brady anymore. I used to have a burning hatred for Tom Brady, and now that just doesn't really exist anymore for me. But an underreported story is this fact that earlier this year, Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk cited a rumor that Tom Brady had plans to go to the Miami Dolphins after retiring And this week, Boston Globe journalist Ben Volan confirmed it on the radio. This is from Juan Vasquez's story on Fansided.com because I had to go to Fansided.com to find the details of this story. Quote, this is from Ben Ben Volan of the Boston Globe on WEEI Radio in Boston. Quote, There was the Mike Florio report that Brady and Sean Payton were planning to team up in Miami. 
I know that's true because I heard it independently, and I know I heard it from a different source than Mike Florio heard it from. So, quote, so that, to me, is the key. So, oh wait, whoops. The reason it didn't happen, Volan followed up by stating, quote, So that, to me, is the key. So Brady announces his retirement on the morning of February 1st, a Tuesday. What happened the same day? Brian Flores files his lawsuit against the Miami Dolphins, throws a wrench in the entire plans. Ben Volan also stated that Tom Brady wanted to be, quote, Derek Jeter, meaning Brady would have come to Miami to help run the front office while Sean Payton helped run the team. Well, we know that Payton declined the Dolphins' offer, but did the Brian Flores lawsuit hold weight in that decision? Volan would lean towards yes. Quote, Miami has Mike McDaniel and he's, oh wait, sorry. Volan reports that Stephen Ross's big plan was to bring Brady. Quote, you don't need permission from the Bucks to get Brady to run your front office. In hindsight, it's impressive how Stephen Ross was trying to make a big splash for his organization. Holy shit, why are we not talking about this more? Like, Tom Brady wants all the power in decision-making that he didn't have with the New England Patriots, and he was willing to go to the Miami Dolphins to get that power. And by the way, they were going to let him do it. Like, Tom Brady, I don't know if his big goal years from now is to own an NFL team, Tom Brady was going to be the president of the Dolphins, and Sean Payton was going to be general manager. That seems absolutely insane. And the Brian Flores lawsuit took down this absolutely insane plan for Tom Brady to run the front office of the Miami Dolphins. And that was going to be the thing that Tom Brady transitioned to in his post-NFL career was running a football team with Sean Payton. It's one of the most insane things that I've heard in that situation. Payton was going to get roster decision-making, and maybe McDaniel was still going to be the head coach, but it was it was Sean Payton trying to get the the coaching job of the Dolphins with Tua still there. It seems absolutely incredible that Tom Brady was going to have the personnel power in this situation, which suggests to me that there is still some animosity between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. And this battle for power within the Buccaneers organization probably has some legs to it because Bruce Arians at the very beginning said he didn't want Antonio Brown in the organization and he was always uh, adjusting the offense to change what Tom Brady was doing in certain situations. And eventually when they gave Tom Brady the leverage and power, uh, and they let Tom Brady call plays, and they let Tom Brady do their th- do his thing, he ended up winning the championship. And so what's interesting is that Bruce Arians was also the person who cut Antonio Brown at the very end, and there was always a power struggle between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, it would appear. Now, it didn't get reported well, but it did appear that there was some animus because Tom Brady was going to the Buccaneers for the power that he didn't get within the Patriots organization. And winning the championship seemed to affirm their decision to do so. And then when the two-year contract came in and the winning slowed down a little bit for the Buccaneers, you kind of saw some pushback in this camp. And so Arian's decision to say again in February that we won't trade Tom Brady because it's just not good football sense or we won't let him out of his contract seems to now have legs to it 
because Brady was trying to leave behind the scenes. And so this was all really interesting because the two-year contract that Tom Brady had with the Bucks, which gave them the freedom of cap space to sign Chris Godwin because it was a restructured deal, which we'll talk about that in a second and how the Minnesota Vikings are trying to do something similar there. Getting that free two-year contract, and not free, but like getting the retooled contract meant that Tom Brady didn't have the leverage in that situation. And somewhere along the lines, it feels like that relationship started to break a little bit in just one year after winning the championship. And Tom Brady can leave in 2023 if he wants to continue playing quarterback, and the Buccaneers don't really have a route to prevent that. What's amazing to me, and it makes more sense that the Dolphins want, as crazy as it seems, it makes more sense the Dolphins wanted him to run the football operations, which is crazy because Tom Brady is clearly underqualified for that position, even if I don't know what makes someone qualified for that position other than working behind a front office. Like, if Tom Brady wants to use his leverage over an organization the same way he leveraged Tampa back in 2020, and the same way we're seeing now Aaron Rodgers leverage the Packers, and seeing Kyler Murray kind of leveraging the Cardinals, and the gross way that Deshaun Watson leveraged like four different franchises and got everything he wanted in unprecedented fashion, and somehow how Kirk Cousins is leveraging the Minnesota Vikings, which is insane also, but how Kirk Cousins is leveraging the Minnesota Vikings, like you can see Tom Brady have that level of leverage again with Tampa and using Miami as an alternative option to jump ship to another step in his career. It wouldn't be as a player, of course, but it would be Tom Brady going to run a football team, which is essentially what he wants the power to do, it would seem. Like, Tom Brady left the Patriot way, the, the nobody is bigger than the organization, nobody is bigger than the system creation of Bill Belichick that kind of suppressed Tom Brady's voice for a decade and a half. He left that system. He became infinitely more likable and winning a championship because he plays in that terrible AFC or NFC South. And they got great breaks in the playoffs. But all of that to say, like winning the championship seemed to reaffirm all of that stuff and give him the infinite universal respect of his peers. And yet still, it is a leverage play for Tom Brady to leverage this situation with the Buccaneers into whatever the next step for Tom Brady is, which, according to this report, seems it might be running a team kind of like how he wanted to run the team with the Buccaneers, where he is the reason Rob Gronkowski comes to Tampa and the reason Antonio Brown comes to Tampa and the reason Chris Godwin wants to stay in Tampa. The most insane part about all of that is that he's got the leverage and power of an NFL star quarterback, and he's 44 goddamn years old. He's going to be 45 in August, and he's still leveraging three different organizations against him. He's leveraging Bruce Arians. He's leveraging the Miami Dolphins. He leveraged the New England Patriots, and the New England Patriots wouldn't buck at his leverage play to get power within the organization. And he's just jumping from team to team until the wheels fall off. And by the way, I've said before, like Tom Brady is like in this weird tier two and a half of quarterback play where he's still got the power of a star quarterback and still got the ability of a star quarterback, even if this isn't the best Tom Brady that we've ever seen, which again, 
He's 44 years old. Of course, this isn't the best Tom Brady that we've ever seen. But the fact that he's able to continue playing means he can continue accumulating power and leverage. And using power and leverage because he's now gotten to an unprecedented place in the NFL's salary cap structure. And I can't believe that we're in a place where he can just mercenary jump from team to team. And if the Miami Dolphins are desperate enough, they will make him the president of their football team and trade multiple draft picks for Sean Payton to go run the Dolphins with them. And maybe that's ultimately the long-term leverage play. Like That seems insane to me because how can Tom Brady be running a football team? I mean, I guess one could argue like LeBron James is running a basketball team right now, and that's the kind of power that Tom Brady wishes to accrue. It's just way more difficult to accrue that power in the NFL system. It's really, really hard because of how short the careers are and because of how the quarterback position has so few of those guys who can actually... Like, the system is set up even for the quarterbacks to not be able to leverage their organizations. And yet the quarterbacks are becoming so much more valuable, and we've seen it with Tom Brady, and we've seen it with Aaron Rodgers, and we're about to see it with Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, unfortunately, and Kyler Murray... Those guys are so important to their organizations that leveraging other teams against them, I mean, a better way to phrase it is leveraging billion-dollar corporations against each other is something they have the power to do because some teams will be just desperate enough to hire Tom Brady as president of their football team. Maybe I'm wrong and like multiple teams were lining up for this opportunity, but it seemed more like this was just something splashy that the Miami Dolphins wanted to do. I don't think that lots of organizations would be lining up in this situation. And at the same time, Tom Brady's making the cool calculated decision there that I can jump to a better opportunity in Miami and now I don't have that opportunity. Okay, I guess I'll come back, play for the Buccaneers, win a division title, and in the NFC be one of the three or four really good teams. Which brings us to the second point that I wanted to talk about in this B block, which is the Minnesota Vikings. Because the Minnesota Vikings, in a quiet way, are doing some of the same stuff that the Buccaneers did and like salary cap hurdles, which, again, I'm never going to be the person who complains about salary cap hurdles because there shouldn't be a salary cap design in the first place. If you want to get your money, you should get your money. There is no way to create a fair and equal system. And hopefully we just dismantle the salary cap altogether and make it a free market economy and make sports unfair and force everyone to spend large amounts of money because that will ultimately go back towards labor. It's all very complex, but the Vikings are doing the same thing where I was laughing last week on memes of the weekend about the idea that the Vikings were giving Kirk Cousins a one-year extension to clear up cap space. And now we've seen that they use that cap space to sign Zadarius Smith. Essentially, Kirk Cousins saved them $17 million in cap space by restructuring his deal the same way Tom Brady did when he got a one-year extension back in 2021 after the Super Bowl they cleared up $16 million. They franchise tagged Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin got to stay, and Tom Brady got the same amount of money. It just all got converted to signing bonus. The Minnesota Vikings are doing the same thing with Kirk Cousins, and all of the money that Kirk Cousins saved 
goes to Zadarius Smith, Pro Bowl edge rusher, previously of the Green Bay Packers. So you take Zadarius Smith off the Packers, you add him to your team, your team gets exponentially better, presumably, and the Vic- and the Packers, your division rival, gets somewhat worse. And so I understand that from the Vikings' standpoint of we really want to be the sixth team in the NFC. Like, we are good enough to be the sixth team in the NFC, and we're going to try and do everything we can to be that sixth team in the NFC. And I think maybe that success will buy Kevin O'Connell and the new general manager who came from the Browns. Maybe that will buy them some time. And it will buy them the credibility to then tear things to the ground in a couple years. It didn't buy it for Ben McAdoo, but it might buy it for them in Minnesota. Because they can make the playoffs next year in an NFC that has three teams in the NFC South that are ass. Three teams in the NFC East that are at the very least mediocre or ass. Two teams in the NFC North, the Bears and the Lions, that aren't going to be good, and the Seahawks, who aren't going to be good. So you're looking at the landscape. It's like, okay, Dallas is going to make the playoffs. Green Bay is going to make the playoffs. Arizona, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, barring something catastrophic happening, should all make the playoffs. Tampa is going to win that division by default. And there's not a whole lot else trying to compete because the AFC has such a power imbalance compared to the NFC. The Vikings are looking up and saying, hey, we can get the sixth seed. We can get a higher seed than the Washington football team, which they can. They can get a higher seed than the Eagles, which they very much can. I know they didn't last year. They've got two pretty damn good receivers. They've now got a couple of edge rushers, Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith. They've got a defense that's solid enough. It's not great. It's going to be somewhere in the bottom half, but not in the very, very bottom fourth. It's going to be like between 16 and 22. And that's good enough to just get us into the playoffs. And I guess I commend them for making that decision. I guess Minnesota is cool being in that purgatory that the Falcons were in for all those years. And now, you know, five years later, the Falcons are now tearing it all to the ground. I guess I commend the Vikings for trying one more year to just try and get into the playoffs. Because I crapped on the 49ers for doing that last year. And in the wild, wacky NFC, the 49ers came within like 10 minutes of the Super Bowl. So commend you, Minnesota, for trying because you at least have a team that should make the playoffs just because you have Kirk Cousins, who's at least pretty good. Justin Jefferson, who's pretty good. Um, Zadarius Smith, pretty good. Daniel Hunter, pretty good. Anthony Barr, still pretty good. Patrick Peterson, meh, okay. Harrison Smith, okay. You've at least got some dudes, and that'll be enough to get you in the playoffs in the NFC. So I guess commend them for trying one more time with this core of their team. They don't want to tear it all to the ground and get into the mix of tanking teams because, I mean, it feels like there's so many bad teams next year, and yet there's not because it's like the Falcons, the Giants, the Seahawks, the Texans. I'm not sure who's going to be at the very top of the draft. It feels like there's so many bad teams, and yet there aren't as many bad teams as I think about because in the NFL, you can be the Atlanta Falcons, go 7-10, and and still have the number 8 pick in the draft. So, I guess to the Vikings' point, like you weren't going to be able to tear it all down. So if Kirk Cousins is stuck here for one year, might as well make it another year, clear up some cap space, and go get Zadarius Smith. Because you can all apparently, if the Falcons can just take forty-one million to dump Matt Ryan, and the reports are that the Browns are going to have to attach a draft pick 
to Baker Mayfield's terrible contract, then at the very least, then if you are the Vikings, you can always just dump Kirk Cousins whenever you so choose, regardless of what the salary cap implications are for Kirk Cousins. Because what we're seeing now is if your franchise is going into the tank mode, which is what I assume trading Kirk Cousins will do, uh, I think that you're kind of in a place where if you're going to do the tank mode thing, you can absorb whatever dead cap hit you want, and a tr- team will be willing to take on that extra money at some point here. By the way, Kirk Cousins has a $48 million dead cap hit in 2023. So according to what I can see on this, the Minnesota Vikings are two years tying themselves to Kirk Cousins when they only had to tie themselves one year to Kirk Cousins. I don't know why they're doing it, but I also do know why they're doing it because just by having those meh, pretty good guys, the Vikings can at least go to the sixth seed or seventh seed in the NFC playoffs, which is probably where they're going to end up next year, looking at the landscape of the terrible, terrible, and also kind of top-heavy NFC. There's not really a big middle class in the NFC, but damned if the Minnesota Vikings won't always be middle class, no matter what. As long as you have Kirk Cousins and you remain in Kirk Cousins' purgatory, when the NFC's really strong like it was two years ago, you'll finish 10th, And when the NFC is really weak like it is now, you'll finish sixth. And the Vikings will just get into the playoffs and say, we beat the 13-win Saints in 2019. We can do it again with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. And uh, the best thing I can say, pretty good team that now has Zadarius Smith. They're doing the same thing that the Bucs did, except the Bucs just made it through the playoff gauntlet and won a Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Vikings are going to do what the Bucs did back in 2020, I'm just saying NFL playoffs can be kind of random. And if you win a playoff game and that's your big bar of success is by by keeping Kirk Cousins and by bringing in Zadarius Smith and getting Dalvin Cook healthy, you can be a top eight team in the NFL. And that's a sign of success. I commend you, Minnesota Vikings, because not everyone has to tank. Sometimes you can... All tanking does is increase your probabilities of finding generational stars. And the Vikings are cool kind of being in what we like to call Kirk Cousins Purgatory, which will probably get them the sixth seed in next year's playoffs. This show is presented by Athletic Greens. We've told you about Athletic Greens before. With one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to get your body right. Athletic Greens is one scoop in a cup of water every day, and that's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. That's 365 days worth of Athletic Greens. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. You can also use the link in the description to this episode. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you up here? How are you doing this fine Monday that's also a Tuesday, but also might be Wednesday by the time people are listening to it? I'm doing great on... Uh... Both Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Hopefully I am on Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm doing fine today on Monday the 21st, though. 
That's good to hear. Good to hear. How did you uh, process this crazy weekend, which I assume is one of the bigger weekends of the year, at least for you? Yeah, process is interesting. You know, it's funny that, you know, I get this text message this morning from a friend of mine who runs a pool. And he, it's, it's, it's my, it's one of the lower end pools that I enter in. It's a $25 entry, probably about 30 participants. And he says, by the way, you are in the leaderboard and you have all your final four teams available and you have like the most possible points. And I have no idea who I selected Kyle. So this is, this just proves to you that I probably did that on, on his CBS pool in a matter of 22 seconds, filling out the bracket, not paying attention to what I'm really doing just to make sure that I got my entry in for his pool respectively. And so the final four that I have there, I, I feel good about it. Uh, Gonzaga, Purdue, Arizona, Kansas, uh, to reach the final four. And I think I, I think it was Gonzaga over Kansas in that one, even though I think Kansas is a fraud. Uh, I just happened to put them in as the only, only time I had Kansas getting to the finals or final four was that particular pool. So, uh, you know, that, that's just something I just want to throw out where you don't overthink these things. Sometimes you, you put yourself in a good spot. Um, now, Let's talk about the SEC. Uh, you can't even put a put. You know, you can't even put the words together how disappointing they were between between Kentucky's defense and the ability that Auburn uh, has to not score the three, and that's all they rely on. And this is a terrible offense, uh, offensive display by Auburn uh, yesterday on Sunday evening against Miami. Uh, they never run, never ran a play. It's just jack up threes. Walker Kessler was afraid to score the ball. Uh, very disappointing because I really loved Auburn's path to the final four or at least the elite eight. And I had Auburn in the elite eight and in some cases, the final four in all of my brackets. I mean, I wanted to overlook the Texas A&M loss in Tampa, but you really shouldn't have because they looked exactly how they did against Texas A&M. Uh, let's not guard the paint and let's jack threes. That was extremely disappointing. And then we flipped the script to how bad the big 10 is and how bad they they are with shooting the ball. Wisconsin, <laughs> the biggest fraud of them all. Illinois just looks scared. I mean, everything that Illinois does is just just totally discombobulated. And Houston had all the answers in the world to defend Kofi. Uh, Michigan, obviously a pleasant surprise if you're a Wolverines fan, especially those who said they didn't deserve to be there. Uh, Indiana, a total no-show against St. Mary's. Uh, that was a just probably the worst performance of any team uh, on day one, I thought was Indiana. I even think Kentucky's uh, offense looked pretty good against St. Peter's. Was Indiana it worse than anything. Montana State being down 30 to 10 at the beginning of that yeah, game? I, I, well, let's just throw out the fact that, you know, nobody took Montana State that serious. I think most people had Indiana over St. Mary's. I know I did. Um, I was pretty confident in IU. I think I had IU in every bracket uh, winning that game. But um, Indiana was a huge disappointment. Um, Ohio State. Loved Ohio State to beat Sister Jean. This is a team that we've talked about on your podcast that looked horrific in February and early March. Just, you know, did a great job in the in the Missouri Valley Arch Madness Conference Championships. But at the end of the day, they, they really aren't a good team. Uh, and Providence. Providence was my big play, both on Thursday and Saturday. You got yourself a money line that was about minus 145 against two teams that – you know, don't play great schedules. I was way off on Iowa. Let's talk about, again, Big Ten teams, so disappointing. Iowa not getting the ball enough to uh, to Keegan Murray uh, against the Richmond Spiders. This is just a, 
a really poor showing by the Big Ten and the SEC. And then the ACC. Here we are today um, with uh, a possibility. I think Miami has a pretty good path here. I mean, you know, they they really can can win their their region. I, I don't see why they can't beat Arizona. I think they'll be a slight favorite against Iowa State. But who knows if Arizona is going to be Houston. So uh, Miami's sitting in a pretty good spot. I would say the Maybe the best spot. You can make an argument that Carolina. Just is a spot, quick but... update on the bracket. Miami is in the Kansas Providence region. Okay, they... my apologies there. So that's way off there. I'm sorry. So that's even a better path for Miami. So, you know, I think I think Miami. If if somehow Providence could beat KU, man, yeah, Miami's a favorite on a neutral against Providence. So. Uh, you got to be, you got to feel good about the ACC here right now with Carolina, slight dog against UCLA, have a chance to beat Purdue with that terrible defense. Purdue, very lucky to be where they are as far as the bracket goes. That bracket's wide open, and that's very good for me, Kyle, because I do have Purdue in a lot of my brackets getting through the East. Well, so what was the interest in Purdue on that one? But was it the fact that the East region looked like it was going to be like a chaos bracket or? You know, not a lot of faith in Baylor as the one seed in that region. How come so many people were picking Purdue? Because I know you weren't the only person who was big on Purdue. Yeah, yeah. Purdue's a really good team. They just don't play defense. I could make the same argument for Duke. Duke's a really good team. Just don't play defense. But if the stars align for Duke and Purdue, and they're on fire with their offense, and they can figure out defense, which they did. Both teams did. You saw Duke go for a couple minutes of playing horrific defense against Michigan State, and they completely shut them down at the end of the game. Same thing with Purdue. They gave up a lot of easy buckets at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half against Texas. But when it came down to the most important moments, I don't know if Texas scored uh, for the last – if you look at the last 10 minutes of that ball game, I don't think Texas scored many points. So they found a way to do it. These are very talented offenses between Duke and Purdue that I have a lot of faith in. Um, but, again, it's really about guarding the three. To answer your question, Baylor was a Fugazi one seed. We all saw that at the end of the year. So, yeah, yeah I didn't have Baylor getting through that region anywhere, and I felt good about the Kentucky-Purdue winner, and I just happened to go Purdue on most of my brackets there. So it's worked out pretty well. So I love the stat going back to something you said earlier, because we touched on a few things, that the MAAC has as many teams in the Sweet 16 as the SEC. Uh, and that is absolutely fantastic because the SEC was supposed to be one of the top conferences this year, like in a year that the ACC was down, Pac-12 was down this year. They were supposed to be one of those top conferences and to have everyone lose at the beginning, because that doesn't even include Alabama, who got smoked in the first round of the tournament. Like They just took a dud this week, and it, it happens to someone every year. Just this year happened to be the SEC, and now for the second year in a row, the Arkansas Razorbacks are SEC powerhouse, and I, I still attest that Arkansas should just take all of that football money and pour it into becoming a basketball school because they would be much happier dominating basketball again versus trying to compete in football in which they have now been in the sec for 28 years and have never won an sec t title or regular <laughs> season title oh they've won a they've won a, a national championship on the hardwood in 1994 and they have the right coach with muscleman I, I think this arkansas team just has a bad draw here again they're not big and that's that's a problem when you're taking on the Zags. I think if Arkansas and any other region, you put them against Arizona on a neutral, Kansas on a neutral. And of course, if they were in the Baylor region, they would play Carolina. So Arkansas just unfortunately for them 
I think they finally run in. I, I think Gonzaga finally gets a chance to dominate. I think Memphis was that team we've talked about. So athletic and so foolish, but yet they weren't that foolish until the end of the game with foul trouble. And Memphis was athletic enough to beat Gonzaga. Penny Hardaway, I think, blew this game, Kyle. He could have taken timeouts when Gonzaga made some runs and they were still up by one, still up by two Memphis. He never pulled the trigger. He never settled his guys down. These guys were gassed. They were discombobulated. So I think Memphis lost that game as much as Gonzaga won it. Arkansas is a good story. They're a good team. They play very good defense. They're just not going to score enough to beat Gonzaga. Bad matchup. Gonzaga wins. And then Duke, Texas Tech. I mean... That's tough. I'd like Duke here. I, I think I think as bad as, of a defensive team as Duke is, they have a good matchup with the Red Raiders because they don't score very much. They play incredible defense that may frustrate Duke, but I, I give an edge to Duke as a plus one and a half point underdog. I was going to say, I think Texas Tech is favored going into that are, game, which yeah, is a little surprising to me. And yeah. Um, Gonzaga is really interesting to me at some point here. We're going to do like a story of Gonzaga basketball, because I just think the idea that a team from the West coast conference could become a college basketball powerhouse across 20 years, I find to be super fascinating, but I'm mad that I didn't pick Memphis to win even in the first round or like make noise in the tournament because they had like three top 25 recruits on their team. And that was the same explanation I gave for picking Michigan was Michigan, from what I knew, didn't have any like significant injuries. They just really underperformed this season. And so that means that when they get to the tournament, that team that everyone thought was top five or 10 most talented is still there, which means that in one game, winner go homes, they have a chance because they just have talented players on their team. And Lo and behold, now Michigan is the team that's keeping the Big Ten alive as Ohio State falters and Illinois falters and Iowa falters and Wisconsin takes a dud against Iowa State, which was just weird, but also totally predictable because it's Wisconsin basketball. Like Michigan ends up becoming the 11 seed that charges into the Sweet 16 with, you know, I think they were preseason favorites in the conference. If I remember back in my head, I think they were one of the, if not two best teams in the big 10 and lo and behold, the regular season didn't matter. And Michigan ended up making a sweet 16 run. Well, I think Purdue and Michigan were one, a one B back in November and look who's left in the field of 16. It's uh, it, it is, it is those two teams. And I just don't think Michigan is that great, but they played big at big moments because they have a lot of experience and they're going to give Villanova some fits this year because I don't know if Villanova has a guy to match up with Hunter Dickerson. It's going to be interesting because I need Villanova in my big pool that I'm still very much alive. I got hurt by Auburn, but I have a final four of Purdue, Gonzaga, Villanova, Auburn. So uh, I need Nova to get to the national title game. And the path is not easy against the Michigan Wolverines and possibly the Arizona Wildcats. It's the same thing for me. I have Gonzaga Villanova as my championship along with uh, Kansas and well, Kentucky, but Kentucky is obviously gone now, but I've still got three of them still alive here. I've still got, <laughs> I've still got Kansas. I've still got a pulse. Villanova. It was a scary for a moment there. Villanova scared me for like a little second there against Ohio state, but they ended up winning that one. Uh, 
the, the well, that's thing what I was w- about to go back to. Let me let me just say this real quick, Kyle. Ohio State got back in the game because of offensive rebounds, and because Villanova is not a big team, and that's what scares me against Michigan. So be be on the lookout for Dickerson and Eli Brooks possibly crashing the boards, and that may be the only way they beat Villanova is simply by winning the boards battle. The joke I had also about Michigan right before that is that I saw the internet was making fun of Rick Barnes because you can always count on Rick Barnes to underachieve with any team that he ever has. Um, and I saw the old, they, someone made the joke that Dale Brown walked so that Rick Barnes could run um, because Dale Brown was the coach of Shaquille O'Neal who averaged 27 points, 16 rebounds and five blocks in three years and never made it further than the round of 32 in March Madness. And that's kind of the embodiment of Tennessee, which is another team. We talked about how disappointing the SEC was. Tennessee was a three seed. And this was like one of the more quiet Tennessee teams. Like I remember a few years ago, I picked Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield to win the national championship. And then they lost in the round of 16. But I think that this Tennessee team is also kind of in that SEC disappointment category where they've quietly become a weird college basketball powerhouse or, you know, not a powerhouse where they're number one seed, but they're consistently two, three, four seed. And they, again, lose a game that they probably should have won going in. I know Michigan kind of dominated the, most of the game, but it's strange that Tennessee got beat the way they did, given that they looked pretty strong going into the tournament. Tennessee, I don't think scored, but maybe one bucket with three minutes to go. They held, they held a four-point lead, I believe, with just about four to go. Uh, that's a team that failed to score uh, and, and just couldn't play defense. They've had some uh, pretty bad deficiencies on defense. They really cleaned it up in the SEC tournament, and they cleaned it up towards the end of the year. But I think they were scared to win. It, it looked pretty obvious that they the, the, for the moment was too big for not a you know experienced Tennessee team to be in this situation. I, I thought they had the game. All they had to do was play a little bit better defense and just at least – at least score six more points with three minutes to go. And I don't think they scored more than two. It was a, a bad showing for Tennessee and the SEC. And I, I don't know which one is the most disappointing. I think it's Auburn, Kyle. I think Auburn, you know, really showed the nation uh, up until they stumbled a little bit in late February that they were the best team in the conference and, and maybe at times the second best team in, in the whole country. And they just laid an egg in Tampa against the Aggies. And that kind of just put them in a spot to not be ready to go for this tournament. And they looked horrific second half against the hurricanes. Well, it's interesting. Cause I know Kentucky is obviously the easy answer there because they lose the all timer loss to St. Peter's who I still would like to publicly shame Murray state some more. I think Murray state deserves all of the Man. public shaming for how that second round game went down where they had, they had a coast to the sweet 16. They co- they could have coasted to the sweet 16. And anyways, so Kentucky, like they're interesting in that way, because obviously they get the public shame of you lost to a 15 seed. We're going to remember this forever. Whereas like Auburn fans will remember losing to Miami, but we won't remember that as like a catastrophic upset unless Miami goes to the final four. Um, but even then you might forget that Miami had to beat Auburn to make that run. And so I feel like that's a great point that you made there about Auburn being incredibly disappointing because they had such high expectations the entire season and got smoked out of the building by Miami. Auburn was an experienced team with a lot of seniors and some transfers, some older players 
Uh, Kentucky was a talented team. They were a talented bunch of bunch of guys, a group of guys versus I think Auburn figured out how to be a collective unit very early on in the season. Uh, you know, Kentucky is just one of those teams that when you don't have a ton of experience, remember these are kids, these guys are 18, 19 years old. Auburn had some men out there. They had guys like Walker Kessler and Smith in their, in their early to mid twenties that have gone through some gauntlets of the NCAA tournament, whether it's on another team or Auburn. I just never, I love Kentucky's talent, but never really trusted them going into this tournament. Sure. They could have won the East. And I think a lot of people could have made some great arguments a week ago that they should be the East champions. I just didn't. I didn't like them against Purdue. I didn't like them to just get through the gauntlet of that Eastern region. And I was right about UK. I don't. Ha- it doesn't bother me as much because I didn't have much stock in UK this tournament. I had stock in Auburn, and they really failed me. And uh, you know, there's just a couple collapses though. I think the biggest collapse of the tournament, uh, and I hate to say it, is your is your Aztecs. I mean, they played afraid to lose at the end of that game and they played afraid to lose in overtime they had every chance to win that game uh and and it's just the the inability to score it just eventually will hurt you you can play all the great defense you want but if you can't shoot the three ever uh and you just can't you know put together some really good set plays uh Creighton had no business winning that game so uh, I think some biggest collapse of the tournament to me uh, in the last two minutes and a course in overtime would have been Carolina against Baylor, but they set the tone right away in overtime. It, it was definitely San Diego state. Yeah. That is the San Diego sports curse coming back to, to haunt me, which I've talked about it before. Our sports curse is all the heartache of Cleveland's except ours is more dark because all of our teams leave us and all of our favorite sports stars die. And that's kind of the more dark, sad version of the San Diego sports curse. But this is part of it. Like the Aztecs in 2020 and 2021, they won like a combined like 60 something games and they had only a first round exit to show for it. And it was just brutally unfortunate for them because they were just this year, this year they were probably going to lose to Kansas in the next round. Like they weren't high expectations, but they should have at least gotten the second game. Like Creighton led for like six seconds in the entire game in regulation. It was just, it was terrible. Wire to wire should have been a wire to wire win for the Aztecs. Just disappointing. And, you know, I think, I don't think it really hurt too many people. Obviously if you had, San Diego State getting to the second round. You shouldn't lose your bracket because of that. But all those little losses frustrate you, right? When you have when you have a team advancing and they should have won, it's like, man, hope that yeah, point Virginia come Tech back to haunt me. Yeah, Virginia Tech for letting me down. <laughs> yeah, I like Texas. There, we talked about the Texas matchup for Virginia Tech. They they play such great defense, and and Virginia Tech had them. I mean, so the word there's a couple of bad beats I'd like to go over, Kyle. Um, the worst bad beat of the tournament was in that Texas, uh, Virginia tech game in the first half, um, Texas was minus one or minus one and a half first half. Uh, and a lot of people probably played Virginia tech plus the point on the money line first half and Texas hits a three quarters, three with under a second to go. That was good and covered the money line and gave the Longhorns a two-point lead at the break. That is <laughs> horrific beat if you had Virginia Tech. And then you have Gonzaga in the first round. Gonzaga laying 22 and a half. 
I don't even know how they came back to cover that number against Georgia State, led by 26, and just gave up five straight points when they didn't even have to. It was just a bizarre, bizarre For people who didn't watch this game, because Razor is underselling it here, Gonzaga was tied with 10 minutes left to go in the game, and they were up 26 with two minutes left to go. You had no business covering as a Zags better, and then you're in the position to do so. I think the thing that hurt the most is that Gonzaga did not have to take a shot up by 23, and, and the shot clock was off. And so one of the backups shoots the ball with like 15 to go, bricks it, and Georgia State right down the floor covers the number by either a half a point or a point, just depends on what you got it at. But Gonzaga closed, I think, at 23 or 22 and a half. So it's a Georgia State win. It was horrible. Yeah, UConn also. UConn. New Mexico State, we talked about this before. They went to the tournament 10 times in 13 years. If you count the year that the tournament was was canceled, it would have been 10 times in 13 years. And they were 0-8 in first-round games. They were 0-8. And so I'm like, I'm not picking them this year. I'm not picking them. I'm picking UConn. And lo and behold, UConn lost to New I, Mexico I said State. that they were the scariest 12 seed. And uh, I, I, I just, I didn't like Richmond. I was wrong there. Um, I can't remember the other 12 seeds. Oh, Indiana. Uh, I liked Indiana. So I liked some 12 seeds here. Um, the other one was, was UAB on who got smacked yeah, by Houston. I didn't like UAB. I didn't like UAB. Um, I did like... New Mexico State as a play against UConn against the spread. That was a big number there, six and a half. Um, and UConn just couldn't do anything. And they let New Mexico State just jack threes and they hit their threes. And uh, RJ Cole, that was a no show. And if he's a no show, UConn is not beating anybody. Yeah, that one was that one was disappointing as well. Uh, South Dakota State was disappointing for me. I know you were big on Providence, but yeah. I believed in them. They cut it to two points at the end. That one was that one was rough at that the was, end. That got dicey, and then they just went on a massive run, Providence to to win the game. They've just been in so many close games in this moment, and I just trust them. And I tell you what, if they keep this close uh, against Rock Chalk. Watch out, Kansas, because this Providence team has played so many tight games over the years. I don't trust Kansas uh, in this spot too much. I'm not even endorsing a Kansas money line play here. I think I'm just going to watch this game and see it unfold. I'm not sure exactly what the spread is there. I can figure that out in the meantime, but I'm sure that well, Kansas we can will guess. be a few Yeah, they're probably favorite. a touchdown. I, I think they're probably close to a touchdown. I mean, this, you are correct. This is, yeah, it's, it's got seven be. and a half. Yeah, no, there's no respect for Providence. Uh, this whole tournament, why why start now, right? So, um, I'm good. Hello? Yep. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, the other one that I was going to throw at you is uh, Iowa State um, because I think they're a fun team. Like, Iowa State has a first-year coach. It's always cool when they make tournament runs because Iowa State's easy to love. They're just – they're kind of just little brothers in uh, – the Iowa Iowa State rivalry. They come from the Big Twelve. Their college football team is easy to root for. Like they they won the Fiesta Bowl for the first time ever in the program history. Uh, but I knew Wisconsin was frauds. I didn't watch any college basketball this year, really. But I knew Wisconsin was frauds, and I just needed to pick LSU 
Oh, I picked LSU over Iowa State and then picked LSU to beat Wisconsin. Just needed it to be Iowa State, and I would have looked like such a genius deep in my bracket. Yeah, you know, it's funny is that remember I told you earlier when we started your show that my buddy texted me this morning and told me that I'm in first place. Well, part of the reason I'm doing well and, and killing everybody is because I have Iowa State in the Sweet 16. And, and I didn't have Wisconsin advancing to the Sweet 16 in any of my pools. Unfortunately, the other three or four, I do have LSU in the Sweet 16, but at least I put ISU in one of them. Yeah, this again, this is a Wisconsin team that can't do anything without Johnny Davis. If Johnny Davis is not on the floor. Wisconsin probably doesn't get to the tournament. Uh, they don't, they just, they, they play okay defense and they don't score. So uh, Wisconsin was a great fade play yesterday. I regret not playing that game. You know, I don't play a lot of games. I've told you this a thousand times on your pod. And I just, there was this game really scared me. I stayed away from this game. I stayed away from Houston, Illinois. I regret that because, you know, looking back at that game, it really comes down to guard play. And Houston's guard play is way too much uh, for Illinois. Carbello and Frazier have been horrific for the fighting Illini. And Houston was the obvious play. And I missed that. So I wanted to ask you about that game specifically when it comes to, I, I don't know if it's Thursday or Friday, but just a sweet 16 matchup, because I, for some reason, just don't believe that heavily in Arizona. Like I picked Villanova to go to the championship. I had one bracket that was, I guess, more for fun. Like one where I didn't have money on it, where I picked TCU to go to the elite eight and damn it. If I wasn't close, close damn if I yeah. wasn't so close How's that to getting not a to foul? be so How's right. That not a foul? How is that not a foul at the end of regulation? I don't <sighs> understand that. I mean, these, these, these referees are calling fouls when somebody uh, touches someone with their fingernails, but they don't call that. I just, God, there's just horrible officiating around the board. And I, I hate to see that. TCU had a chance there. Uh, I guess your question was going to be, what do I think of Houston, Arizona? Um, let me guess the line. Uh, I'm going to say, I haven't looked at any lines. Um, Arizona should be a four and a half or five point favorite. Shouldn't be that much bigger. According to our friends at Bet Online Sportsbook, Arizona is a two and a half point favorite and wow, only minus okay. 130. Okay, it's a stay away from me, Kyle. I, Houston's experience gives them a huge edge there. Uh, they don't have the bigs to compete with Arizona, but they have the guards. So, you know, you got to pick your poison in that situation if you're a Wildcats fan. Okay, we can get it down low, but can we match the guard play and the three ball from the Houston Cougars? That's a stay away. I don't, I don't love this game at all. I, I think it's just a great game, fascinating game to watch. Um, if I had to lean, I'll take Zona. Obviously, the better team from uh, Thanksgiving till March, uh, you know, fifteenth. But still, Houston looks great. They looked amazing in their conference championship game against Memphis. That was a really good measuring stick for them. Destroyed UAB and destroyed Illinois. So uh, Houston's a hot team. I'm staying away. And I said four and a half because I wanted to give Arizona a little bit of credit as a one seed. But boy, was I off there. I'm, that's a no play for me. So when it comes to March Madness, how much do you weigh like the margin of victory for some of these teams? Because obviously Houston's dominated both of their first two games, you know, but then on the flip side, like Illinois played a close game and then the next day they lost to Houston, but obviously everyone has a week off. So do you put too much weight into margin of victory for teams when you're trying to do gambling purposes on the next round? I've I think you should as long as the next round is, is two days later, right? It doesn't matter what transpired yesterday, yesterday or Saturday 
for the Sweet 16 because there's going to be a huge gap. But look at what Illinois had to do to beat UTC, and look what Houston had to do to be, beat UAB. There's a mental and physical side to it that's such a huge difference between those two teams. Uh, you know, Houston cruised through beating UAB, probably got a lot of guys off the bench to give their starters some rest at the end of the game where Michigan, excuse me, where Illinois was just, you know, they, they, they had to do everything in their power to stay alive to beat UTC. So I think you should factor in margin of victory uh, with, the, with, with, with games that are played two days later. Now it doesn't matter. I, I don't really care what transpired yesterday or Saturday going into the Sweet 16. But yes, I do count it. I count the, the physicality of games that are two days later. So more from the watching standpoint instead of the analysis stuff, because I think we've covered pretty much every one of the games up to this point, but from more of the analysis stand or from more of the watching standpoint, which was your favorite of the games this week? Because I know the, the easy pick to make would be Baylor in North Carolina, given it was a 25 point lead and a 25 point collapse and overtime and all that stuff. But which was your favorite to watch over the past four days? Well, Baylor and Carolina was super entertaining. I, I think I think you hit it right. I mean, the, the drama that unfolded uh, in that game is probably second to none. But my favorite games to watch, uh, St. Peter's defeating Kentucky, really thrilling. Illinois UTC was an amazing ending as well. I would label those as the best first-round games and by far uh, Baylor, Carolina, and Memphis Gonzaga as the best second-round games. Ooh, how about the last one, the TCU Arizona game? Because uh, yeah, that too. That's true. I forgot about that game. I, I don't know how I missed that one, but yes, Arizona TCU probably uh, the most dramatic uh, regulation ending uh, that you could possibly ask for. I mean, I I barely remember uh, seeing a situation. I I was reminded of the Stephen F. Austin Duke game from a couple of years ago, but rare do I remember a scenario where you have that fast break time running out you have to either float it or dunk it or do something to make sure that you get the the playoff i rare to remember an ending quite like that after watching thousands and thousands of basketball games well so if he throws a floater there uh he went they win the game right because you you know i I think he throws a floater with what like two feet away from the basket probably makes that what 80 percent of the time uh, and then instead he goes for the, the dunk. But I, I don't know if you heard me. I don't know when we lost service here, but that, the, the no call really bothered me. That was a foul. And, and there's been some really poor fouls that have been called during this tournament. A lot of poor charges called. But I think Arizona fouled the TCU player at half court. And, and that wasn't called. And, and it's okay it wasn't called. But I, I think we gotta, we got to figure this out. If we're calling, if we're calling a ticky-tack fouls at the 10-minute mark, it's got to be the same level of call if there's 10 seconds left in the game. I just didn't like that. I felt for TCU there. Yeah, I think that that's kind of been the story at the end was, was it a foul? Was it not a foul? In this crazy game where TCU and Arizona go back and forth all the way through. Um, I've also learned from this tournament that nobody hates officiating more than Brennan Haywood because he he was calling the, the games uh, like, Providence was in there. Iowa was in there. Um, that dude really doesn't like the officiating call. Cause I know Richmond and Iowa ended with the foul where the guy got hit in the arm and they didn't call it. And man, that he was laying into that situation and he called a few games there. So I think that was kind of something that people were upset about coming out of the tournament, but that, you know, more so than usual. I know everyone likes to scapegoat referees, but more so than usual. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there were some terrible calls, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a forty minute game, and the, and you're not going to get thirty eight minutes of bad calls. You if you lose a game, it's probably because of your own undoing. But I don't know the flagrant two call against uh, uh, Brady. Is it Brady Matt? I can't remember his name. Ma- Matic Manchik. I should know because I live out here in Chapel Hill, but I don't follow the Tar Heels as a Wolfpack guy as much as I should. But uh, that was a bad F2 call. I don't think that was a flagrant two. I think that was a flagrant one, in my opinion, but everyone will have their own opinion on that. But uh, some, some tough calls in this tournament so far. Any other thoughts that you had from the first round? I know, I think we talked about everyone except UCLA. So I guess I could throw a UCLA question at you real quick because they might actually make it to the final four again. Well, gutsy win, right? In, in the first round for, for the Bruins. And, and I think that that gutsy win woke them up. Uh, they could have lost that game, uh, UCLA. So did Arkansas. They had a great gutsy win against Vermont. Those are two four seeds that really were in major trouble against against Akron in Vermont. So UCLA, man, did they show up against St. Mary's. They were down big early. And they proved to me why they were a Final Four team last year. So much experience. I think they beat Carolina pretty good. I actually endorse that as probably one of the larger money line plays. Like the Bruins, I like what I saw out of them. I like the short number. I assume it's going to be between three and four points against Carolina. Uh, they are the better team. They have more depth. Give me a UCLA money line as my uh, probably my top play of Thursday and or Friday. Uh, it looks like currently it is, again, two and a half points okay. in favor okay. of UCLA. Yeah, I like that. So that's probably selling at about minus 135 or minus 140. Do I have that right? You have that correct. Minus 140 yeah. for UCLA. Okay. Well, that's 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 who I like. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if there's any other, any other teams you want to break down, I'm good. But if not, uh, good luck to everybody in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Absolutely. And good luck to you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and all of the wonderful college basketball shenanigans again, shame Murray state. If you have a chance today, anyone who has a chance, feel I free will. to shame Murray state. That's... I will. They should have won that game. I apologize for my audio difficulties, technical issues here on your podcast. Always a pleasure. Follow Rosenthal razor at Twitter, beer live sports on Twitter. Great guests coming up on the razors red zone. And of course we have a ton of content for people to follow Kyle pleasure to chat. Let's do it soon. Absolutely. And the good news is it's an audio podcast, so I can edit all of that out later. So. I love it. I love it. Thank you. But <laughs> people it's a little bit more work. Never know. A little bit more work for you. A little bit more work for you. Yeah, but the people will never know. <laughs>